there are agricultural producers out there who try to do right by nature. Producers who fence off their wetlands for wildlife, put up bird boxes on fence posts, leave up a tree stand in the middle of a field just cause, and rotate their livestock daily. Then there are producers who not only do right by nature, but they learn from nature as well. They take a look around them, see what is thriving, what is working together, and what can be imitated. In this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're talking to two producers in peace country who are known for doing all of the above and so much more. Their names? Mary and Peter Lungard. This is part two of our Farm Elders series, where we sit down and chat with those agriculture producers in Alberta who have spent decades trying to heal and regenerate the land. In part one, we talked to Don Rizika of Sunrise Farms in Killam, so in East Central Alberta. Don and his wife Marie were an obvious choice for the series. Mary and Peter Lungard are also an obvious choice. Within the first few months of me moving to Alberta in 2017, I'd heard the name Lungard multiple times in regenerative agriculture circles. They sounded like farm royalty to me. I did finally make it up to the Lungard's farm in the summer of 2017. They've got themselves a real pretty spot on top of a valley. And their farm is like a little mini village with a bunch of homes out there for farm interns, even for members of their family. One of the days we were up there, the Lungards had something like a farm-to-table event, so it felt like the entire town of Grimshaw was up there. Peter gave me the honor that day of being the French fry cook. He had these uh, deep fryers. They're a bit bigger than a five-gallon pail, and I'm pretty sure he had me cooking those potatoes, which were all grown on his land, in Byzantello, which I think you can do that. All I know, they tasted delicious. Anyway, when you go up to a farm like the Lungards farm, especially in the summer, You could really feel the energy of that place. I would have loved to have gone back up there to record this episode, but it just so happens that the peace country has one of Alberta's most promising emerging writers and storytellers, Trina Moyle. Trina wrote the book Women Who Dig, which is all about women working in agriculture around the globe. You should really check it out. It's a great read. She's also published articles in magazines like Alberta Views. But Trina is also helping us with our Farmer's Blog. The Farmer's Blog is another side project we have going on where we're trying to tell the stories of agricultural producers in Alberta who are putting farm solutions that are also climate solutions into action. So instead of me driving eight hours and burning a bunch of fuel, Trina jumped in for this podcast episode. Even though Trina had never recorded a podcast before, when I asked her to record this episode with the Lungards, she pretty much said yes without hesitation, which I'm super grateful for. So Trina, if you're listening to this right now, thank you very much because you did a really great job. All right then, without further ado, here is Trina Moyles, Peter and Mary Lungard, and the story of Nature's Way Farm in Grimshaw, Alberta. It's still dark when I leave my house at 8 a.m. and make the long drive to Nature's Way Farm, an organic farm located just west of Grimshaw, Alberta. We're in the early days of winter in the peace country. It's late November and the roads are slick with ice. It's like driving on popsicles. It rained last night, unusual for winters up in Northern Alberta, 
or at least unusual if you think back 20-some years. I grew up in the peace country, and so I tend to think about these things a lot. How patterns in the weather have changed, how the environment is ever-shifting, and how we, as people, are responding to these changes. I also wonder a lot about how these changes impact the way we grow food. Hey, I'm Trina Moyles, and this is a special edition of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast. I'm happy to join the Rural Roots team as a writer and storyteller. I'm passionate for local food, farming, and the environment. This morning, I'm taking you along for a journey up north at the 56th parallel, close to my childhood roots. I'm driving through fields and fields of monocrop wheat, canola, and peas to reach a farm that does things, well, pretty differently. Nature's Way Farm is a small organic farm run by Peter and Mary Lungard. The Lungards have been farming in the north for well over 30 years. They farmed in Fairview, then moved their operation to Grimshaw in 2005. They're well known for their sustainable approach to land management. Set in the boreal forest, they manage a 640-acre farm, focusing on sustainable grass-fed and grass-finished beef. Peter and Mary are determined to mimic nature's way and rotate their livestock through perennial grass pastures. They also raise leafcutter bees, more than 20 million bees, to custom pollinate perennial grasses for improved pollination and growth. They keep chickens, dairy cows, and a huge vegetable garden. Nature's Way is also a multi-generational farm with open doors for the next generation of organic farmers. It's where the Lungard's daughter, Lisa, first started her vegetable CSA, the Veggie Patch, and where dozens of young men and women come from all over the world to get their hands dirty, learning firsthand about the Lungard's sustainable, holistic approach to growing good food and practicing environmental stewardship. This isn't my first time out to the farm. I was here several years ago to interview Mary for my book, Women Who Dig, Farming, Feminism, and the Fight to Feed the World. It's always a pleasure to listen to the Lungards talk about their passion for small farms, and so I'm happy to pull up to the farmhouse just as the northern sunrise is breaking in the sky, and just in time for Mary's dark brewed coffee. I hope you'll pull up a chair, pour a coffee, and join us at the farm table for an inspiring discussion on how Nature's Way Farm is contributing to climate solutions, and many of the valuable insights that Peter and Mary have to share. Peter, can you tell me how you first got into farming? And also the name, Nature's Way Farm. Why did you make this choice to call your farm this? And why is it important to you? I was born and raised on a small family farm out uh, west of the uh, village of Heinz Creek, Alberta. And it was, um, and I, so farming became part of my uh, culture, I guess it was. And, and then I, I went to uh, college uh, and studied agriculture in Fairview College in the mid-70s. And, and, and of course, we were, we were taught a lot of industrialized agriculture principles and models. And, but I was fortunate enough to have some of my instructors for, from the, maybe the older school of, of um, tra- training. And so I was fortunate to have a, some good instructors in, in, in the study of um, livestock uh, technology and, and uh, the ruminant and uh, the ruminant animals and the rumen and so I and and I, I, I got a liking for the perennial forages and and so I got out of um, 
college, and I was we were I was farming with my brother, and of course we'd both been trained in that uh, system, and it was the kind of the industrialized agricultural model, and so but and so in the late seventies and the early eighties, I I st um, we implement I was farming with those models, and I was just a young startup farmer, and, but it was um, that lasted for about. 10 years and uh, and in that time I met my uh, wife to be Mary and and uh, after the 10 years were that we 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 bought a farm and and uh, we were financed heavily and uh, about 10 years later everything crashed and uh, this uh, we lost everything and so in the 1988 we we started all over again and uh, and so I I, um, I thought there must be a better way to do this, and uh, so w with the encouragement of Mary, we thought uh, we would try a different uh, model or a different t way to farm, and so then that took us took me back to my uh, r roots of my youth, and uh, and then and then we were re we were really um, it was really tough because we had to start all over again with virtually with nothing and uh, and so we we took a different path and that path was going to be um, some more of a traditional way of farming and partly out of um, I guess the need to keep farming with and we had nothing so it was kind of like well I guess we're not going to spend too much money here on, on things so but anyways uh, we were struggling for a few years until like we we really got fortunate to learn uh, of, uh, about holistic resource management was called at the time, and so in 1992 we took a course in holistic resource management, and it was um, fellow um, they had a course organized in at uh, around um, home there at Fairview, and so we took this course and it was uh, about uh, a, a model to to make a decisions and it was. Put together by Alan Savory, and um, so, anyways, we went and studied that in the in the winter of 1992, and after that, it, it provided us a a roadmap to uh, make decisions, and that was our lifesaver. And um, so, when we started down that path, <clears throat> we realized that, I mean, we'd we'd learned things about land management and grazing and money management, financial planning and uh, ecosystem management and uh, we learned things like, uh, on, I heard of people like Henri Voisin uh, that figured out how to, uh, how to, that uh, the, t the time, the rest period was so important and, but, the, but we really give credit to Alan Savory because <clears throat> he took Henri Voisin's book off the shelf and put it into a model that that uh, that people could use, and so we were very fortunate to <clears throat> learn that. And through that mo that model, of course, one of the it's a value based decision making model, and the the part of it that uh, that uh, I guess came to <clears throat> my thought process was um, it's a three part goal, and the first part is uh, you have to uh, describe your 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 what what you value 
and and then you have your or a resource base, and then and then you have a description of um, uh, things that you're going to do, forms of production to take you to this, to, to lead you to this set of values that you want, and then you have to describe your resource base. <clears throat> and so our resource base was this farm, and of course when we learned then to have a, a resource base that's going to be sustainable and profitable, and uh, that you have to um, practice this. And, and I always relate it to like the, the goose that lays the golden egg. If you want to have lots of golden eggs, you have to um, you take care of your goose. And so once, once we realize that, and part of the testing uh, guidelines in, in the model is one of them is the uh, sustainability of, of your resource base. And uh, so anyways, the resource base has to be a healthy resource base ecosystem has to have a healthy um, uh, water cycle, mineral cycle, sun's energy flow, and uh, dynamics in the community. And so when, when we looked, sat back and looked at that, we said uh, we have to focus on that. And so then the name Nature's Way came into my mind that if we want to have this uh, healthy ecosystem that's going to be sustainable and uh, regenerative and uh, profitable that if we take a name like nature's way farm we'd be farming in nature's image and and then so the the decision making model and or the process would you try then always keep that in mind that you're trying to uh, farm or in in nature's image so that's why that we got the name nature's way mary can you tell us more about the land that we're on what is it that you love about farming on this land I feel that we have a little island in a in a uh, a huge industrial uh, farming um, area, and so I value uh, having the trees. And we're so lucky to have a, a springs where we're getting, uh, you know, all the, the truly the stuff that we need to to have to produce the right uh, environment atmosphere around us. Yeah, this um, I don't know a lot about um, uh, biodynamics, but one of the important things uh, that uh, they one thing that I do remember about it is your your farm area has to have your forest, you have to have your water, and then you have to have your your open land for for your. Uh, growing your crops, and so when I see this place, I think, I think it would be uh, 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 the way it is. I feel that it is a perfect model of what to start to start this farming enterprise. Uh, I think it's the um, uh, it's got everything there. We just have to bring it out. We just have to keep uh, bringing it to what it can be. It, it's all here. It just needs to be nursed and, and um, grown and, and uh, treated right. So I think we're, we're very lucky to have been here in the last part of our, our farming life. Um, and I just, I just enjoy the, 
making sure that there's habitat for the animals around us, the wild animals, as well as, 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 well as, as our animals that we're growing. Peter, can you talk more about your approach to sustainable farming? What are you doing on the land at Nature's Way Farm, and how did you come to make these decisions? The decision-making model of the holistic management, I um, always have to refer back to that usually when I'm thinking about things, and I guess when that is kind of what drove the decisions as to what we grow and what we produce in the farm and why we do it. And so, so there, going, there again, it goes back to the, those ecosystem foundation blocks of your, your water cycle, mineral cycle, energy flow, and dynamics of the community, of the species and whatnot in this ecosystem. So when you take that into consideration, when you get that, um, when you build on that, when you build on each one of those uh, blocks, it enhances the other three. So the more you enhance one, the more... So you get this synergistic effect, and so then we have to in the in the model too. It's got three parts to it. It's and one is the what you value, and then the forms of production to take you to those values, and then the resource-based description that, that you're going to do these forms of productions on. So when you start thinking in that terms, then then you you um, we we um, and of course some of these things were uh, I picked up you know, uh, over the time was uh, to have a, then when you put it into play, to have a healthy ecosystem, so you have to focus then on your um, diversity of species. So then you want to, uh, your land, then you have to have many, many diverse species. And, and, it's, and it's really important when you, when you consider that, that the species should be long-term, long-lived and perennial. And uh, so then, and then you just you then you're able to just harvest them. So that so that's so when you take that into account, and then you so then all of a sudden, the resource based description uh, becomes um, there's trees involved and shrubs and and uh, sedges and uh, perennial forages and grasses and legumes and so that drew us to research to find out. And uh, so observations and stuff over the years, I, I noticed that um, an extremely long-lived perennials were, and of the legumes were, were like, like a yellow blossom alfalfa and sicer milk vetch, um, and, uh, and, and uh, those were two of the most hardy, long-lived perennials that I, I could, we, we, ha we have available to us. So those, those were incorporated in, into our landscape. And then... Uh, and of course, along with those was the ability for, uh, then you needed a, and then grassland, grasses were incorporated, so long-lived, winter-hardy type grasses, like, so we have things like uh, metabrome grass, and, and there's, there's clovers, and there's um, uh, native grasses, and uh, smooth brome grasses, timothy, there's, there's not so much timothy, but they're, they're the longer-lived uh, grasses. So, so all of a sudden, then our our, re, our resource base, um, and then we fence off the the riparian areas, so we have um, habitat for wildlife. And recognizing that if you have more wildlife, you have the more species you have, and the more stability you have in your ecosystem. So, so you have to then always think of uh, having uh, habitat for wildlife. Uh, you you have to consider your your water, and so. 
so then and then you have to figure out a way to harvest this and um, and and uh, to get to, to get a what we call a solar dollar because you're converting solar energy through all this diversity in species so then we look at things like um, some some species to harvest your perennial forages and so then we studied with um, what species would be the most suitable for us our forms of production and we we can't we chose these uh, uh, cattle and uh, we, we chose a, a really hardy type ca uh, breed of cattle which led us to Galloway cattle and, um, and it was based on this model and and then we looked at other ways of harvesting um, uh, solar energy was through the and a course of making your forages or your legumes more productive and so we incorporated leaf cutter bees as a pollinator source and as a harvester of nectar and pollen and uh, so they were incorporated into the system uh, based on this model and um, the the breed of the livestock were based on the model because we had to look at energy efficiencies um, so then we then so we so then we brought dairy cattle into the picture because we we feel it's very important to have um, uh, fresh uh, dairy products and, uh, and that takes us into studying the traditional diets and whatnot and so we try to uh, then have traditional foods raised in traditional ways uh, and that's where the traditional diets come into play so all these things are encompassed into what we have on our farm and what we're what we're what we're growing and and um, so basically um, I think that covers most everything we've also we also for brief we've also done pasture uh, poultry production uh, we always re always have eggs and, and stuff from laying hens and um, we we designed a model to raise pork and uh, but we, we we don't do that now but we incorporated sheep into our our uh, farm because of the diversity of them and but we've we, we aren't raising sheep right now so right now we're just doing beef cattle uh, dairy cattle and uh, alfalfa seed and pasture and hay for the cows in the wintertime you mentioned the technology of using leaf cutter bees for improved pollination of perennial grasses can you talk more about this technology and why it's important quite early in my uh, farming career I think back into the 80s, uh, 1980 or so, it's when I got really, became more and more interested in the long-lived perennials and, and, then, and then how to harvest them. And so alfalfa became a very interesting topic, uh, interesting plant species. And so then uh, I, I, I thought, well, when you when you have um, alfalfa in your growing your alfalfa in your farm operation, that you want to look at different ways of harvesting it, and so one of the ways was grazing hay or pasture and or like for grazing and or and or um, seed production, and so and then so then I started uh, studying the the leafcutter bee because they were sort of new into the uh, into the farming uh, scene 
and in the, they basically started in the late 1950s and then in in 1960s they were using them down in the northwestern USA and then in the early 1960s there was a, a, a researcher in Lethbridge by the name of Hobbs brought them to Canada and developed a loose cell system and then I was fortunate enough to there was a uh, research, a uh, couple of research scientists from Beaver Lodge and Fort Vermilion at the federal research stations, they were doing a lot of work with the leafcutter bees. And so they were teaching and training people up in the peace country because they 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 developed a, a, a model to raise leafcutter bees in the northern, um, um, what do you call it, northern uh, areas. Uh, because they were just doing it in the southern areas and and they weren't having much luck in the northern part of Alberta and Saskatchewan until uh, they made a, 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 a fluke discovery that um, they lost one of the roofs off the top of their one of their shelters it was a plywood type house and they temporarily covered it with plastic and and when they came back because they'd lost the lid of one of their shelters and it was up in Fort Vermilion and then so they temporarily put some plastic on it, and when they come back, they had three shelters there, and the one with the plastic was the bees were really going. So, the the leafcutter bee industry was born in in northern in the northern areas of Alberta and Saskatchewan, and then so I was just fortunate enough to study that, and uh, in the in in the late seventies, and so nineteen eighty, I think I got our first uh, we got our I got our first bees. And by this time, Mary was involved with her farming, and so we started uh, rearing them and using them as pollinators. And I was just, and then after I started using the model, the holistic management model, I realized that uh, they were another way to harvest the pollen uh, from the plants. So we 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 started managing them for harvesting pollen from the plants and, and generating uh, more bees and so we used them in that manner too and and then we realized too that they're an effective pollinator when you, they also pollinate a lot of other species on the farm so when you want uh, diversity in your species then uh, you should have a pollinator and I always I, I've always uh, encouraged people to have bees and honey bees or leafcutter bees so uh, and um, so there's, I think it's really uh, a really integral uh, part of uh, uh, a healthy ecosystem to have pollinators. Uh, so we and we really uh, think that the leafcutter bee is a, it's it's uh, it's quite manageable for a lot of people. So I always encourage people to have some leafcutter bees, or or so I guess that's how we got, we got into it and. And uh, we enjoyed doing it, and it's it's been a, a, a good part of our 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 business is uh, rearing leafcutter bees, and and we we sell the extra bees, and then we sell the seed, and um, so we then we focus on seed as well as when we have the pollinators. So we've uh, selected some different uh, alfalfa seed varieties and stuff. And so that's why they're so integral, uh, that's why they're so important to our farm. Every time I come out to Nature's Way Farm, I meet young people from all over the world who've come to work here and learn from your sustainable approach. 
Mary, what advice would you share with these young people about how to farm with nature as opposed to against it? I think, you know, famous 4-H saying, learn by doing. And uh, that's probably my, my main point of it is, is until you actually, uh, you can read and you can do all of the studying, but until you actually put into practice what you're learning, uh, then you start to understand that nature isn't always, it's not always going to turn out. You, <laughs> you have, might have the best plans, but uh, she's still going to, she's going to throw you some wrenches lots of times. Uh, inspiration, a uh, young, young girl from Taiwan, uh, she, she came to our farm and uh, she won a contest for, for gardening. Now, her garden was on top of her huge apartment building, and she had a little square area that she could throw some vegetables. And this was her garden project, and she was so proud of it. So I think coming to our place and uh, 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 being part of the, the, the farm and learning about the animals and learning about uh, the bees. It's important, but it's also important to know that this could happen anywhere. You can create, you can create the same thing, maybe not in the same size, but you could create it anywhere that you really put your, your, your mind to. You know, like uh, a young woman that came to our place and ended up out in Halifax, and here these children were who knew nothing about vegetables. They, their lunches consisted of cookies, uh, candy. That was their their lunch. They would bring to the to the child children's center. And when they started this garden, these kids started to realize what a carrot was, what onions were. You know, uh, uh, understanding that you can grow food and 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 be able to to do it. And I think you can start doing this with children as. Babies, when you get out there and they're touching the soil, um, a woman once asked me, um, "What was your very first experience with nature? What what was it?" And when I thought back, I thought, "Oh, I was about five, and I my mother took me. We were walking, and my mother took me to a plant, and she said, "Try these." And it was a raspberry. It blew me away. I did not know that food. I didn't know where food came from. So I think it's important that people realize even in a little backyard, even on top of a roof of a huge apartment building, you could be creating your own food, your own space of being in touch with nature. And I think that it's very important that people come and try it. Uh, you can, it, 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 because you have to really learn that uh, things don't always work. Uh, you, you know the way it says in the book you have to adjust to it and one thing about I have to say is ask older farmers because they we still have some old farmers that still have wisdom about their land and understand their land and um, there's not a lot of them left but it's something that people are disconnecting when they're going to school they're not understanding how the land works. They just understand the soil is there to hold up the plant. And I think it's really important that um, 
young people come and experience what what uh, what life there is on a farm. Not just a cow, not just chickens or stuff, but there's so whole much more to it. And I think it's an, an amazing program to have people come. I, I, I wish there had been something like that when I was younger, that I would have been able to um, go and experience what it would have been like to, to be part of farm. I probably don't know if I would be farming, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it would have been a great experience. So I think on, on most people that come to our farm, I hope they have learned, been able to take away some of the, the, um, the lessons of, of what, the, what the land has to offer you and what you can do with it. You've been farming up in northern Alberta for the past 30 years now, observing the land and the climate. What kind of changes have you seen over the years related to climate and the environment? One, one thing that I've uh, been noticing is um, the rise of uh, insect infestation. So we're getting, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable heat. And then uh, we're, you know, especially for us as grasshoppers, and they've become a real problem. They, they're, you know, we've we kind of been going through a little cycle of a three or so year cycle, and we've never had problems with grasshoppers before this. So something is changing. Something, there is something out there that's, whether it's, it's uh, I think it's weather as well because the conditions are better for them, but I also believe it's chemical use and, and stuff that might be, you know, predators or other things are being uh, killed from the spraying. But I definitely have to say we are getting uh, crazy seasons. You know, it's, it's warm. It'll be, uh, uh, you know, it starts getting warm in March. And it stays really warm, and then comes April, and it's freezing again, and it's cold. And you, you, so you're kind of going through this, the plants are coming, you know, they're breaking dormancy, and then it's back to where what's happening. So I, I do believe uh, there's a definite um, problem with climate, but I also believe it has to do also with the, the amount of chemicals and stuff that farmers are using now. And it's in, it, it, I mean, it, it's all around us. It, it, and uh, um, I think that's making a big, a big change in our life, in the environment. I've been uh, in the peace country since the 1950s, and uh, growing up in a farm, so I was uh, connected to the land and connected to the the animals and the crops and whatnot. And <clears throat> oh, I guess in the when we started studying. Holistic management. We've done a lot of studying about pasture land management, and um, I got exposed to a lot of different people from Alberta and Saskatchewan, and they talked about droughts and uh, grasshopper infestations, and 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 uh, I used to kind of think, well, we're lucky because we we're, we don't have those problems. Like we don't have we don't have I. I used to say we, we might have a, a bit of a drought, but it always rains in the summer. It'll always rain, and either if it if it doesn't, if we don't get a May rain or June rain, we'll certainly get a July and August rain, and and uh, everything usually worked out. And and we never ever worried about infestations of grasshoppers. And uh, so I thought, 
we're so we're so blessed to live in the north uh, because of the we don't have those issues and uh, that was in the early 1990s i guess and uh, by the early 2000s 10 years later we we're starting to have grasshopper problems and we're starting to have droughts and we had our worst drought in 2002 i think it was never seen anything like that and uh, it just we just had there our pastures were just drying up we had to destock our cattle um, and uh, we were it, it was just we if we didn't um, start doing some destocking and etc cetera, etc cetera, and we would have been in out a real real wreck but it was it was devastating and uh, and so then then we were into the same situations as some of my friends that down in the south had been 20 10 years earlier or more or more but i guess that well, we never had that up in the peace country and uh, now it's become quite a regular basis uh, this year we got uh, grasshoppers uh, and drought pretty well wiped out uh, 75% of our crops and uh, two years ago i think we had grasshopper infestations wiped out about uh, 80% of our crops and uh, and so we had and when I say wiped out I mean there was just there's nothing there they just the grasshopper just ate it all and so uh, yes it's, we we absolutely definitely see a change in climate and uh, now the cause of it is still unknown to me but there's I think there's many causes of it um, and uh, but uh, it's definitely there. It's definitely changing, and and now we're seeing some effects of it, and we're and we're studying different effects of what's happening to the into the um, Arctic regions and whatnot. So um, we're pretty concerned about it, and we're pretty worried about it, and we're so we're trying to figure out, you know, best ways that we know how to um, deal with these issues that arise, and so and. Um, so I get over and over again. How do we deal with grasshoppers and and uh, insects? But and um, and the answers the answers that I can find it is on um, you know you've got to maintain your um, healthy plants and uh, and then and then of course then how do we you know maintain healthy plants? And we got to get into healthy soils. And so I do spend a lot of time researching and doing studying on how to get healthy soils. And to, and to increase um, microbiology in the soils and increase la- healthy plants and stuff, but um, I'm not sure if that's. I guess, I guess we're getting into it a little deeper. But just to answer your question, is absolutely we see climate change happening, and absolutely it's having a major impact on our on our um, lifestyle and our and our uh, profitability and our long term existence here. Over the past 10 years, we've really seen an increase in the intensity and scale of wildfires in northern Alberta. Uh, Just last summer, there were two huge wildfires burning just north of you in Manning and High Level. How have these wildfires impacted you as farmers today? Last year, 2018 season, um, we were, um, our crops were delayed to the point that um, we kind of missed the harvest on some of our crops because of the the delay and i was quite surprised because it started off with a a, a nice spring nice uh, uh, early summer 
and uh, everything was really ticking along quite quite well. We had adequate moisture, we had adequate temperatures, and of course we're always looking at heat units up here for the grass production and uh, pollinator uh, working. And and then all of a sudden, the the wildfires started in in uh, mostly in northern BC. North, uh, we're getting severe smoke from the wildfires and coming in uh, from the British Columbia and uh, then there was some more started up in northern Alberta I think and in the, in the Northwest Territory I'm not sure where they were all coming from but mainly BC and of course I I, I knew that from traveling I travel lots in BC in the springtime so I see a lot of a lot of dead forests from um, pine beetle uh, infestations and and so I, I, you know, you, you're just going to say one. It gets hot and dry. That those, the, the, those things are going to start on fire and start burning. And and so we've seen that, in, especially 2018. So we were really covered with smoke here for months. And uh, and uh, so the general consensus was that a lot of because a lot of the grain farmers in the area, their their crops were delayed. Um, we grew some annual crops that year. We grew some because we were and we grew some wheat that year, and uh, it was. Um, it was delayed and it was it had frost damage everybody's wheat had frost damage in the whole area and um, the neighbor that's been growing wheat for well, many many years never had frost damage in his wheat uh, uh, like since he was farming here about what 15 years or something for but anyways that was uh, and that was a result of these uh, we assume of the smoke and keeping the heat units down and uh, so that was a, an effect, a direct effect to us uh, from the wildfires, and uh, and of course I see the de the devastation that the wildfires are having on the on the land because they uh, I've seen some of the places that they've that wildfires in British Columbia have hit and there's just it's going to take many years to get stuff regrown on some of that that soil because it's very shallow type soil that's in the kind of a rainforest areas and and boreal forest areas and and so it's it's kind of it's it's bad it's devastating and we do see the effects and we this year we've seen the effects as well we we were fortunate in this the smoke didn't linger too uh, too long because of the wildfires in northern alberta and up in just north of us in manning area and what but we have we we we, we have fields that we work with other farms up with the, in that area and uh, they, like most of them, fields were written off. They 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 just didn't have the uh, production there because of the well. It's partly because of the smoke, but mostly because of the the heat and the drought. I think and uh, grasshoppers. Despite these challenges that you've described, how do you think sustainable agriculture can play a role in regenerating soil? water and healthier ecosystems do you think farming can be a solution to climate change one of the major things i believe that we could curb the climate change and, and uh, is to focus on uh, well i guess we call it regenerative agriculture for many years and um, it's it's a it'd be a, a model uh, people have to adopt a model of um, uh, agriculture to to um, improve the ecosystem 
And so, and if you and if you do that, then you're going to curb greenhouse gas productions. And I know some years ago we were asked to sit on a on a panel to look at uh, cli uh, climate change and and um, and whatnot. And and uh, and it was I, I was kind of um, in disbelief that they they said in the agriculture industry in Alberta, like 60% of the effects of the greenhouse gas was coming from the release of nitrous oxide was as a result of just just with the application of nitrogen fertilizers uh, and uh, commercial nitrogen fertilizers and i thought this is this is not good and uh, and nitrogen fertilizers that's one of the things that you can we can really produce lots of in a regenerative model it's, it's quite easily done with the use of uh, nitrogen fixing legumes etc uh, growing annual crops and and, and uh, incorporating them back into the soil, or perennial crops incorporated the soil. And so uh, this is this is something that we can we can change around quite easily. It's just that um, it's just that um, we have to have the the knowledge out there and the will and the changing the model. And and so agriculture is and 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 um, in Alberta we got vast grasslands and uh, of course the grasslands are, are some the soil that's uh, been it's uh, balanced uh, uh, minerally to grow grasslands and um, and so uh, but when they when they've torn it up and grown annual crops on it for many years they've depleted the, the mineral balance in the soil uh, they depleted the ability for that grass, the grasslands to grow, and, and they're they're tilling the soil, and so I I think if we and and of course then they're growing a lot of annual crops, that it, and then the annual crops are a lot of them, a lot of them being fed to ruminant animals, and ruminant animals can do quite fine on grasslands, and so I think there again we could switch that around quite easily by uh, getting our grasslands more productive and. And up in the boreal forest regions here, we've you know come in here and uh, you know, 100 years ago and started clearing the forests and and converting forested areas into grasslands and and annual cropping of and so some of that can be fixed um, quite easily too by growing into uh, production of perennial forages and and remineralizing or mineralizing some of that soil and getting grasslands and the grasslands probably. Are one of the uh, uh, best ways to sink carbon into the soil because there's it's um, carbon you know as um, when we convert um, sunlight into through photosynthesis and plant growing plants and stuff and and the um, the um, carbon that's uh, produced and released into the soil is phenomenal and uh, so if you can if you got a system that um, where you get the soil uh, with the right minerals in it, and 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 it'll grow a uh, vibrant plant, uh, healthy plant, and then and with that becomes um, uh, when you when you get that state, then you get a lot of microbial activity in the soil, and so with the microbial activity, uh, when you create a, an environment for microbes to live, and by creating a, a balanced soil, and you you incorporate a uh, a long-lived uh, perennial uh, mixture of different species of, of plants and uh, grasses and legumes and trees and whatnot. Uh, 
uh, or shrubs and, and whatnot and, and incorporate a system that you have incorporated some sort of a, a livestock to harvest this, you're going to be sinking lots of carbon. And, uh, and, and uh, I've seen some, some research that you're sinking a tremendous amount of carbon, even compared to the boreal forests up here. The, the grasslands, the, even the, we have natural grasslands up in the area too, the prairies. So every time you see a place is called prairie, like Grand Prairie or High Prairie or Jean Dor Prairie or something, those are those are grasslands, and they've been. So we we got the ability to grow um, grasslands, and 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 if you get the, the soil right and the microbial activity right, we can sink a tremendous amount of carbon and build these soils, and and and. Uh, and if we use a, a model that's uh, that 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 you can incorporate um, forms of production that that will uh, allow the people to be back on that land and uh, occupying the land and uh, and and looking after it, I think that's the key to uh, reversing this climate change. And uh, but unfortunately, that's not what's happening. So we got you know we're getting. Uh, big monoculture uh, cropping scenarios, um, a lot of uh, artificial inputs of chemical fertilizer, uh, fertilizers and insecticides, pesticides. So we're really crashing our ecosystem and, um, and also we're losing people. And so we have to have people, we have to have people on the land, we have to get our land uh, uh, regenerated or generated I used to think I used to think of the word are we generating our land or regenerating it <laughs> but anyways we're because a lot of this land is wasn't that great to start with but but with the proper um, management in a like some of the things I mentioned with the incorporate a healthy ecosystem with the water cycle mineral cycle energy flow and the dynamics in the community then then we'll start and when we say the dynamics in the ecosystem, we're 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 talking about the microorganisms and the macroorganisms and the, the animals and plants and stuff on top of the ground and and water in the system and uh, water is part of the whole system, of course. But but that's what we have to look at. We have to get we have to get and people, and that's why I guess that's why we've kind of opened our farm up to teaching people because we think people is the most important thing and so if you don't have the people and they won't you know you to get the knowledge and then you have to have knowledge and I think we can we can curb climate change quite easily and and, uh, and there's you know and uh, so I that's what I think but it's 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 uh, it's quite a challenge we've we've uh, <laughs> we've been at it for quite a few years and there's not many people that are um, willing to um, change or hear it or see it. So, so that's one of the things we have to, that's why I think what you're doing is really important because um, with the, the initiative that you talked about earlier, um, the, I think you're on the right track. <laughs> or whoever's doing it is on the right track because you got to incorporate the people into the program and uh, and that's, I think that's the, our best tool to curb climate change. Many people today who are concerned about global warming are advocating for eating less meat. 
particularly factory farmed meat that relies on GMO corn and grains. But others say that sustainable meat is possible. Can you comment more on this issue in relation to what you're doing here at Nature's Way Farm? I, I truly believe that um, uh, uh, feedlot, uh, feedlotting animals, whether it's uh, your dairy cows or your um, chickens, your pigs, cat, uh, your beef, uh, with this mentality that we have to feed the world, and I have a problem with that because I truly believe that, uh, as Peter had said previous, uh, we need more people on the land. If if our community of Grimshaw, Peace River area, if we had uh, small farmers around, we could feed our community. And that's what we should be worrying about is feeding our community, not feeding the world, not producing such large, uh, you know, force-feeding animals and getting them uh, fat and, and, and not looking at the health of that animal, uh, you know, we can do it. We can, we could have animals that are being moved every day, that are, uh, uh, you know, their, their, their waste is being put back into the soil. We're not taking anything out of that soil. What, what came out of that soil to grow that plant, it's being, put back into the soil. So we don't need to do all of this extra stuff. We just need the people in the areas to be uh, uh, have smaller uh, farmers, um, you know, bring people back in touch with the land, bring people back, uh, the people in the, in the communities, in touch with what real food tastes like. We think when we, when we're, when we're eating the food, we think it, it, there's nothing wrong with this, but it's when you, start eating more uh, dense, uh, I don't know what the other word would be, but you start to realize, oh, uh, you know, um, you're feeling better. But then when you stop eating that good food, that's when you realize, how come the carrot doesn't taste like a carrot anymore? How come a tomato doesn't taste like a tomato? You, you know, you get, uh, people will go, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I've had a peach that actually t tasted, from my memory of what a peach could be, I, I don't taste the peach anymore. I don't taste the, the goodness that you used to be able to taste out of food. We're, we're, we're allowing ourselves to believe that it, it's just food. It's just to, to eat it and, and take off again. But we need that nourishment. We need those animals on the land. We need to be putting, putting everything back into the land that we're taking out of it. And... We have to get people understanding the importance of food. It, you know, you've probably heard it tons of times, food is our medicine. And if we don't start feeding these animals properly, if we're, if, if we're going to be feeding them all of this oh, crap, uh, that's what that's what we're going to be feeding our body. If we're, and, and what are... Uh, um, what have we got to look forward to our children, our grandchildren? What kind of health are they going to be in? What kind of, of uh, citizens are they going to be if they're, not, if they're not in touch with the land, if they don't understand where, where this food is coming from and how important it is to preserve 
this farmland. You can be going to Grand Prairie and seeing highways built over farmland, and you're thinking, and then it's so mixed up because then we're cutting trees off of forests that shouldn't be growing a crop, <laughs> but we're completely. It's so opposite. We're we're doing all of this stuff to beautiful farmland in the sense of expanding the city. Why can we not expand our small our small towns? Why can't we bring life back to the to the rural area? And we can do it by small farms, growing good food in our community, not relying on on that factory food. With when you take into account like our since the early 1990s when we first started studying the, using the model, then we, you, it, it, um, you really start to realize that um, in order to have a healthy ecosystem, you absolutely have to have animal species in, in that. Other than just, you can't just have plant species in a healthy ecosystem. You have to have animals, insects, you know, microorganisms, macroorganisms, insects, uh, uh, the right on to the sheep and cattle and uh, the ruminant animals and of course years ago and then natural ecosystem around here was the uh, bison and the, the deer and the elk and the moose and and of course the, and then you had the, the predators of them and but now with with what with when we're farming this land now the the bison are gone and so we have to we have to incorporate especially in, in areas like southern Alberta or whatever, where there's a, the, the, the environment is more brittle. And so in a brittle environment, a brittle ecosystem where, the, where there's seasonal rainforest, the, the, the plants, if they're not harvested, the, uh, the sunlight that can't get to the growing points. And so then they call it idolitis. And if, you, if your plants are sitting there not harvested, they die. And so you start, when the plant dies, then it becomes bare ground, and then this carries on and on, and pretty soon you've got a desert. And that's what we learned from Alan Savory, that, that in order to stop world desertification, you have to have a, a, an animal in the system, in these brittle environments, because he talked about a brittle on a scale of zero to ten, and somewhere in there this ecosystem is, in a, is somewhere is in that scale, and if it's if it lends itself the, the, into the more brittleness sorry, the scale, you have to have something to harvest that, that uh, perennial grasses or, or whatever or in, in the system. So if you don't have an animal in the system, that you're gonna, it's going to start turning to desert. And I've seen this, and we've seen this, and I, I didn't think it was quite that bad, but uh, when I traveled in southern BC and some of those more really br the more brittle areas the grass is not being harvested it dies it just you can pick the whole thing out of the ground it's dead the roots are dead everything because it just hasn't had the, the ability to uh, capture sunlight because it's shaded from this old material so that's called idolitis so it's really then it becomes really crucial to have uh, livestock in the equation and 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 the and in in our situation in southern Alberta and stuff, if we don't have like cattle, is one of the most uh, they're the most um, easily managed uh, ru uh, ruminants, and so and so they're they're kind of an ideal fit to harvest this these grasslands to keep them healthy, and and uh, and of course they're cycling nutrients, 
and um, and and there's and if you get your the microbial activity working in the in the soil, and you'll get a healthy microbial activity, especially in these these um, prairie type soils, that you're going to have a tremendous amount of microbial activity. And these microbes are taken care of, uh, uh, like methane gases and released by these. So. Uh, for instance, that's one concern two people have. But the, the, this system allows for that. It's nature's way to provide. So you have to have these in there. So to, to, to have a healthy ecosystem, then we have to incorporate those as part of us. We have to be incorporated in this. And that's why in a, in a natural natural ecosystem all around the world, and that's where I talked about the Weston A. Price Foundation. This is what Weston A. Price found when he went around the world. With the people were... And Alan Savory noticed the same. He, it's the same thing. People were part of this ecosystem. They were part of the. Uh, they were. They were part of the whole system. They were a, a predator of the, these animals, and uh, or uh, or, no, or they preyed upon the animals, or other, or they harvested the animals, and it's, it's so it's part of the ecosystem. And it's so we have to understand this, and uh, and understand, and what what West May Price found too was this. This meat or these these animal fats from this uh, this system, and the animal fats coming from meat or from dairy products or from like on the land animals they were harvesting fresh green plant material. That's what kept people healthy and happy throughout throughout time. And if they were living close to the ocean, it was the animals that were harvesting fresh green plant material in the ocean that kept the people happy and healthy throughout time. And he found this and he documented it, it as well documented so. Happy, healthy people that consist, uh, existed on the planet, all around the planet, were eating animal fats, and so this—it's just part of the system. And if you so, you want to have a healthy ecosystem, then you you have to—that's part of it. So that's why it's very important to eat um, meats from to protect that system. Now, on the other hand, when like Mary said, growing these these animals or livestock in these confined feeding systems, then it's totally a different system and it's totally non-functional. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, this tremendous, tremendous use of fossil fuels to produce this, this, uh, these meats, uh, tremendous am amount of uh, um, environmental degradation in the, in the forms of growing monoculture crops you know, people don't take into consideration how much soil, topsoil is lost by growing monoculture crops. You know, so like things like ethanol or, you know, how much topsoil does it take to make a gallon of ethanol? How much topsoil does it take to make a pound of beef uh, or this beef steak or this hamburger? How many pounds of topsoil did it take to, to make that? How many, you know, how much fossil fuel did, you know, some reports it takes 100 cal uh, calories of fossil fuel to make one calorie of, of beef. This is not doesn't work, but on the other hand, when you have a a system, a model that you incorporate the livestock into the system to harvest the the grasses that you've converted with you know we we convert solar energy through photosynthesis and produce this grass, and then you have to have a something convert that grass into protein or like what that's where the ruminant comes into the picture or these other species that do sim similar thing, then then we can harvest that. And so that system, it actually adds to the ecosystem. It adds, it builds on, the, it, it's regenerative. So you're not taking from the land 
you're actually adding to the land when you incorporate, a, 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 say, a ruminant. So without the ruminant, it's, it's, there it goes back to the healthy ecosystem again, water cycle, mineral cycle, sun's energy flow, dynamics of the community. When you add the ruminant into the equation, it builds in the other, uh, the, uh, the, you're adding a species into this ecosystem. So it helps the water cycle, helps the mineral cycle, helps energy flow. So that's how you build a healthy ecosystem. That's how we, should, we have to incorporate meat into it. And it's, 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 it's good, healthy um, food, and it's regenerative. Mm-hmm. And so this is, we've got to convince people of this, and, and uh, that's why, again, what you're doing is really important. And so I guess for Mary and I, because we've had this, this model this, that we looked at for years, all of a sudden, then we start incorporating the works of Weston A. Price, the works of Alan Savory, you know, the works of uh, uh, the uh, what uh, the Italian um, the movement of the slow food movement. They, they you know when they focus on uh, traditional foods, and so uh, these and the works of Vandana Shiva, um, you know, build, um, building. Um, economical and environmental agricultural systems and so um, uh, you know this is um, this is important and this is why uh, this is what we got to educate people that meat is a part of the system if it's if it's if it's raised or produced or raised in in this in a manner that's sustainable or regenerative and, and uh, that's it Mary, you've been a farmer for over 30 years now. Your daughter, Lisa, is also a farmer in Good Fair, Alberta. And your daughter, daughter-in-law, Lily, is also a farmer here at Nature's Way. I'm just curious, what changes have you seen for women farmers over the years? And do you think that women can bring something unique to the table in terms of farming more sustainably? Uh, it's, it's nice to see... Uh, because in my in in just from my experience of growing up, the only person I ever saw doing any kind of agriculture was my grandmother, who grew a garden, and that was it. So, it it, it to me to see young people now, young women, and you know, with the the busy the busy lifestyle that they have, you know, if you have children, if you're if you're also doing a part time job, or you're you're trying, you know. Uh, it's it's such a it's 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 uh, it's such a uh, a lot of of work, and so I'm I'm amazed at young women who are um, are involved in agriculture, growing food. It, it's it's takes so much time, and um, I. I I, I really think it's it's important to show our girls that uh, we are not just the the cooks and the cleaners and the the women raising the children that we really have the ability to grow food to do farming ride tractors do the stuff that at one time a lot of us women didn't do and I think it's uh, important that uh, for um, 
role models for younger younger girls that to see more and more women involved in agriculture, to be able to talk to women who are are uh, raising beef and uh, you know uh, I mean I oh gosh I've met so many amazing young ladies that uh, I look at it and I think God I, you know where did it come from where did all this this uh, ambition and uh, you know to step out of that what you know we're supposed to be doing to be able to step out and kind of like in it's I don't want to say the man's world but you know coming in more where we're actually part of the part of the farm it took me a long time to realize uh, I'm married to a farmer but I'm also a farmer so to be able to say to somebody uh, what do you do to be able to say I'm a farmer not my husband's wife you know so it's kind of I think it's it's important that women are proud of of the of the work that they do do in farming, and I think it's really important that we teach young girls and then, and young boys how important it is to be working together to grow food, to be raising uh, livestock, and maybe sometimes we are a little bit <laughs> have a little bit more feeling for that cow that's calving, and we're thinking, oh my, <laughs> you know, let's give her a little bit of time. But you know, it's it's I think we add that little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a touch of. Of, um, of being a little bit more gentle, bringing a little bit of gentleness back into to some of the farming and and but I have seen so many young women and and just have inspired me uh, that have helped me get um, to understand farming more too. I mean, they're uh, it's just amazing. Peter, what are your thoughts on women in farming? Your daughter Lisa and her partner Donovan run a mixed farm called The Homestead. Were you surprised years ago when she came to you and said, I want to be a farmer? Not not really surprised, but I I was kind of I was kind of happy and 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 the reason she chose to be a farmer was the most important thing to me. She uh, she wanted to farm because She's seen the need for good food, and and that's what dro- drove her. And I thought this is cool. And it kind of, you know. And then, and of course, I'm coming from the 50s, 60s, and 70s kind of era. And um, what? Who wrote the song "Times Are Changing"? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, I think. Yeah. So Bob, Bob Dylan's been an inspiration <laughs> with that song, <laughs> because you think about times are changing. You gotta you gotta think about that all lots of times. The times are changing. You gotta you know, you got to adapt and, and whatnot. And so, and I think it's, you know, it's really great to, uh, that's to me, to see um, women becoming more more active in farming. And I think the reason is because I think when we come to, like, Nature's Way Farm, it's like, why did we call ourselves Nature's Way Farm? We want to farm in nature's image, and we want to build these ecosystems, et cetera, et cetera, regenerative agriculture. So, and uh, I think times are changing. Um, people are starting to realize that what good food is, like Lisa did, and so how do you get good food? Well, you've got to get out there and get your hands dirty and touch the earth and get involved and, and understand this more. And so... And, and even for the consumers, they're starting to understand this more, what good food is. And, and, and they're, so times are changing. And, and where the, the, I think where the 
the model of an industrial and agriculture model that we've seen for the, like, since the 1950s or something, it really wasn't that friendly for you know to uh, for women. It was more of a man's world, like Mary said, and uh, and it was uh, and you 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 were the farmer's you know would use the farmer's wife type thing. But but uh, now it's like times are changing, and when we see the young people coming to our farm it's it's i think it's more than 50% of them are are young ladies young young girls wanting to learn and and so and i always tell people that the 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 new farmers the new generation farmers i call them the new generation farmers they're they are they're not coming from farming backgrounds necessarily most of them are coming from um urban settings and so and and so and 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 the higher percentage of them, I think, are are are, are girls, the ladies, and or, and then, and, and I say so, and I think too. Part of the reason probably is because I do believe that they're more uh, nurturing, and in because uh, that's just they're, they're, you know, more, and so they they're more. It just sets easier to follow some of these principles and and nurturing like your life for your calves or your animals or whatever Mary mentioned there but so I think that's it and I think going back to Lisa again that 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 was an inspiration and so to the good food and of course good food and I mean uh, when you when you study when we study uh, developing a a model you you have to look at the values and you know you have to write down your values and and so the, the most important value to, that most of us have is health. And everybody has, usually has health on their list of values. And it's usually pretty top up there. It's, it's the top of our values or my value is health. Because if you don't have health, you don't really have too much anything going for you. And so if you recognize that and, and like Lisa recognized it, in order to, have, to be healthy, you have to have healthy food. And Mary talked about like I think Vandana Shiva always wrote that book about food as medicine, and of course in in their their language that food and medicine is the same word, and mm-hmm. so so this is important. So it's really important to understand. And then how to then how do you grow this good food and and how do you sustain it and how do you, or how do you make how do you make it better and how do you make the so then it starts to end up down in the soil, and so that's why I become really interested in soil and. And so life, and so, and I think, I think that's what I see is, and I think the, I think the women have a big, big role in the future, and and I think they are going to be the major force behind it. I, years ago, I went to the Acres USA conference. I, that's the Voice of Ecological Agriculture, and I met a a, a lady there, and and uh, she was quite inspirational in that she was. Um, trying to start farming and on her own and she had she was a single parent and and uh, she she went on and got a got a piece of land and started farming and and, uh, and that's her career and so that's and, and we see this and I, and I think you've, you've interviewed some of these people it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, unique and amazing to see that and um, and I think it's she's probably had lots of you know, it was harder probably road more roadblocks for a, a woman to start something like that than a, than a man because, like Mary said, it was 
and it always was a man's world. I think the the farmer, the farmer, the picture of the farmer, and uh, so times are changing. What makes you hopeful about this next generation of farmers and the future of food, farming, and the environment? I guess uh, one of the things that I really, I really, really hope is, as I said before, small, smaller farms and the thought of feeding our community. Get rid of this feeding the world. It, 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 we, whatever made us feel that we. Uh, we have to be do this because it's it, it's putting such a big uh, uh, problem on our on our shoulders. But to 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 start introducing children to uh, and and people to understand um, just down the road or just out of town is my farm. Just uh, you know, uh, we've opened our farm to to a family to come and grow, uh, they have a garden here. If we could do that with more people from town and say, look, come out, come out and here's a piece of land, a little piece of garden, grow your, grow some vegetables for yourself. Learn what it is to look after yourself and um, not depend on, on the, um, uh, you know, We don't even eat the fruit and vegetables from our own our own provinces. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous that we have food coming in from all over the world, and we can grow. We're we're self sustainable in Canada. We can grow fruits. We can grow vegetables. We can grow animals. We can do all of this stuff. So I'm hoping uh, that there's more of a, a, of the young people that are getting interested in agriculture more of them moving out, come out of the cities, come into the small areas, build our small towns back up. Because all we need is the infrastructure. We need the people to come and bring, we can build the infrastructure. We could have healthy little places. Instead of us all in one great big city or buying our food from a grocery store, I'm hoping that one day we'll see more and more people coming and getting to, in touch with the land, land becoming more affordable for young farmers, uh, a land available for more uh, young farmers. Forget about farming five, 10, 11 sections of land. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous because it's killing agriculture. We're, we're, we're actually killing it. And uh, I'd I really like to see uh, more and more young people, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that more and more young people will be able to come out and start growing food for their communities and having a thriving, uh, just to have a community that's thriving again and, and being proud of, of where we are, what we're coming from, and um, I think that's my, my hope for the future. I think there's a great uh, future for uh, regenerative agriculture. Uh, it's it's really exciting. It's going to be a really exciting time. Um, we've we've been involved like what thirty plus years in trying to build a regenerative agriculture farm, and uh, and of course it takes into account markets and and, and peoples and but uh, from from nineteen like nineteen eighty eight until uh, then we we started to change our ways and nineteen ninety two we we studied the 
we got it, we got the knowledge of the 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 model, the decision making model, and um, and so, for, and and at that time, uh, I mean, we were grass fit grass. An example, we were grass finishing beef and lamb, and um, and we'd we'd go to market it, and they'd say, well, oh. What is that? They, nobody heard. Nobody really. Nobody heard about grass-fed beef. I mean, that's what we traditionally did when, from the time I was a little kid. But so, anyways, well, this, you know, the 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 general everybody thought you, and I, I'd have people even say you can't do that, and they still say that you can't finish beef on grass. And I'm thinking, hmm, what's happening here? That's how we finish grass for or animals for thousands and thousands of years, and now you're telling me we can't do this. And of course, uh, we knew that we can do this, and and we had you know scientifically we could do this, and practically we can do this, and so there was a real uphill battle to marketing, and, and so but now there's you know the grass finished beef, for instance, is, is tested for omega three fatty acid levels, and we've been involved with different projects of that. So the, the health benefits are tremendous, and and when you but when you do it feed this animal and this other thing is not tremendous. It's not good, not good, very good at all compared to the. So my point is, uh, in the in the last five years, you know, there's been a tremendous movement in grass-fed beef sales in the U.S. particular in Canada. It's come. There's protocols now. We we tried to we worked on protocols years ago. And now there's protocols in place, and the reason these protocols are in place, and the reason the reason there's a sale market for it is because it's driven by consumer demand. And so, and the reason it's driven by consumer demand is because the consumers are starting to get knowledgeable. The consumers are starting to learn what I, Mary, and I learned 30, 40, 30 some years ago. Now the consumers are starting to uh, to uh, get, gain this knowledge, like Lisa did when she got out of university and said. Healthy, you know, we have to have some healthy food here, and uh, she was fortunate to. She went to that. She had a good, good university there in, in the Camrose. That, that that was one of the things that they focused on. So that was, I was so happy about that. And uh, anyways, my point is, um, consumers are going to start to demand uh, good food. Uh, in in the U.S., for instance, the Weston Price Foundation started the Real Milk campaign. And so they, they they did scientific research and they spelled out the the, the benefits of, of raw dairy products, and so so they've slowly got it converted to most all the United States in the U.S. Are, have it, so it's legal now to have access raw milk. And Canada still, unfortunately, we're one of the only countries in the world that it's against the law and they're persecuting and prosecuting the farmers for for trying to. Uh, to uh, market or sell their their products, and but the consumer demand is unbelievable. We get so much demand from from inquiries about people looking for raw dairy products. It's unbelievable, and so the consumers and the reason they're doing that is because they're understanding that the benefits of having raw dairy in their health, in their in their diet, and so that's another example. And then it boils down to this animal fats from fresh green plant material, whether on land or in the ocean, what Weston A. Price found. So this is, knowledge is becoming more and more accessible. Of course, there's, there's always, we always get lots of um, 
marketing ploys to say, no, this is not necessary, this is no good, this is going to create sickness and all kinds of negative um, advertising against it. But the consumers are really becoming knowledgeable and there's more and more demand for this. So the, the, there's CSAs are springing up more, community-supported agriculture systems. And so I see it down, down in, the, in, the, in the U.S. because I go down there to conferences. Uh, we try to go to a conference every year there. So we see this happening. And so, and, uh, and this, this industrial model that agriculture is in now producing uh, commodities for uh, export commodities, it's, uh, it's, it's not sustainable because I studied that too. It, 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 with dependence on chemicals and fertilizer. And what, what's happening to our soil is really, really bad. Uh, with the microbiology, et cetera, and the, and the mineral balance in the soil. So this system is not um, sustainable, this traditional, or this, the, the industrial model. So there, there's, we're going to have to replace this with a, a new model, and, and it's going to be consumer-driven, and uh, there's going to be such a demand for um, this regenerative uh, farming models that we're producing food that is uh, nutrient-dense, and uh, and and of course then it'd be healthy. So uh, I see uh, in the next ten to twenty years or thirty years or something, um, and uh, it's going to be quite a, a movement in that direction. So and 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 of course infrastructure will and rules and regulations and all that stuff will be changed because of consumer demand, and the consumers will drive that. And so pretty soon we'll be like Sally Fallon talked about broth. You know, broth bone broth is so important. I can remember her saying one conference. She said she'd like to see a brothel on every corner, and so I'd like to see um, you know a regenerative farm on every quarter. And um, and I always say, uh, the, when we grew up, we used to t- uh, sell our uh, pack our cream and in, into town, and that was the cream check is what kind of sustained uh, sustained our our family for whatever things we had to buy, and so. We also that was our that was our forms of production, and so the cream can was our that was our income for brought the, you know put us through school and not not so we need that we need that system back again where the, everybody's got a cream can that they can take to town, and of course and generate some revenue. So in the cream in in the form of some sort of a produce or something that you produced off that farm. So I don't think we should. Um, Worry too much about infrastructure and and worry about the price of land and all this stuff, uh, or land availability, et cetera, et cetera. These things will all come quite easily. Uh, and but the most important thing is knowledge. So the knowledge of the consumer and the knowledge of the the younger generation. And so there again, what you're doing is bang on because you're providing both knowledge to the consumer and to the uh, younger, the, or the next generation, I call them the, the new gen, gen farmers. And so, and so that's it. I, it it's it's going to be, I just wished I was younger. I just wished I was younger because it's going to be some exciting time. We've covered a lot of ground in our conversation today. We've spoken about farming with nature, examples of climate change, regenerating soil and sustainable meat, the rise of women farmers, and your hopes for the future. Do you have any parting thoughts that you want to share with people today? People have got to uh, change their minds on what um, 
how they're helping the earth. So if you, you know, we went to a thing one time about carbon credits and you, you know, we, as a producer of grass and uh, uh, stuff, you know, we're, we're, we're producing so many carbon credits. And uh, then it was, oh, well, let's do no-till farming. They're, they're going to be the carbon, they're going to be producing these carbon credits that are going to, you know, help the earth. And I, I think we get caught up sometimes in what's really, what's really helping the earth because by me growing pasture and allowing a factory to keep polluting because they've bought carbon credits, I don't believe that's helping the environment. I don't believe it's helping me. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I believe it's sustainable agriculture. It's getting people back on the land. It's getting people to understand food. If you think uh, uh, a no-meat burger is going to save the planet, I don't see it because you're, the amount of, of, of just the work that goes into it, the fuel, the chemicals, the spraying, there, it's, it, it, the, 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 the people are being fed the wrong information. I just wish that people would, could get some of this knowledge. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that more and more young people start to see the truth of it is, is being on the land, growing the food sustainably, not worrying about producing carbon credits here and, and trying to do this and that. Focus on your, on your farm. Focus on your land. Focus on your family, your community. That's what I would like to see. The government's effort of putting, putting this knowledge out. Instead of our agricultural courses dying in universities, uh, people, people coming out of university with an ag degree and they're running around in a truck telling farmers uh, in a truck, oh, you have to add this much fertilizer. You, this is not agriculture. This is not what children should be, young people should be going to school for. They should be learning, how do I grow? How can I sustainably grow this, this food? How can I get, protect our land? How can I protect our water? These are the things we need to learn. We don't need to learn to go around and tell a farmer, put this much chemical on because a computer readout tells us this is what we're doing. And I think that's what's wrong is we have lost touch with our land. And I'm hoping, as Peter says, it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping more and more young people start to understand the importance of knowing this piece of land, touching it, understanding it's a living organism. And if we don't look after it, people are going to pay we'll pay with our health, we're going to pay with our lives because it, this is <laughs> this soil is here to look after us and we have to look after it and I think that's my main main thing that I, I'm I'm hoping. I'm hoping that people start to be get the education they need. I mean this is all there, but you have to search for it. I just wish there was more where uh, they taught it in university, they taught it in colleges. Bring this stuff. Bring all of this stuff. Bring the people that can talk about Weston A. Price. Bring the people that can talk about growing uh, food sustainably. This is what we need to. We don't need to learn about writing chapters, spraying this much. Uh, we, we could do it if it's a small farm and feed our, our feeding them. It's, it's, really, it's really about people. That's, and and, and uh, the education of people, the knowledge of people. And so we have to have, the consumers have to be educated. And it's difficult because we're, we, we live in this world of, 
the marketing this product, marketing that product. Uh, there's a whole bunch of advertising campaigns. Uh, I mean, now they're like Mary made mention about uh, imitation meat, you know, beyond meat or whatever. Like, if people only understood how devastating that is to the ecosystem and to the topsoil, how much erosion in the topsoil is growing an annual crop, how much fossil fuels involved is growing an annual crop, how much in processing that crop, how much, and then the nutritional value of this. You know, they're, they're just putting, they make this stuff with all sorts of chemicals to make it taste like meat, for instance. This is not good, but yet people are misled to believe because it's marketing, because people have invested lots of money in this to sell chemicals, fertilizers, fuels, and machinery, and money. You know, they've invested a lot of, lots into this. So the marketing campaigns out there are so um, misleading. And so we have to have, like Mary said, about educating uh, the people about the true forms of uh, regenerative agriculture, for instance. And, and it's really important that the, the consumer gets this knowledge and because the consumers are going to be driving the, driving the movement in regenerative agriculture. And because the, the, the farmer, the, he won't be there unless, he's, that the, unless the consumer is there wanting a product. And and uh, and they have to have a product to market. They in the in the in the holistic management model, you got your your forms of production, and and um, but it's it's in the end you're converting sun's energy into something that you can like energy conversion with a photosynthesis, product conversion with an animal or a machine, marketing, and you end up with a solar dollar, and so. This, the younger farmers that are going to be involved in this uh, model, they have to be generating a, a sufficient amount of solar dollars. And because otherwise they're not going to be able to do this. And so the consumer has to be uh, knowledgeable and it has to be, they have to be, you know, taught the, the, uh, the, uh, the, this about regenerative agriculture, about nutrition. So then, so then the things like Mary mentioned, like, so Weston A. Price, the knowledge that Weston A. Price has, has put out on the table, uh, this, like, and Sally Fallon's been uh, carrying his knowledge on. I mean, their only mission is to teach. That's it, to teach. The, 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 that's their whole philosophy is to teach and to, and to un understand what good nutrition is. And, and so they, they set up a lab to, just to, to carry on this work. That knowledge has to be out there to the consumer. And so we've we've recognized this. We've seen this over our lives and careers that the consumer has to understand this. So this is one way that they can be taught. Um, I've seen uh, uh, people put this into a model to market uh, simply for life, for instance. That's a model based on Weston A. Price's principles. So that's a really good tool to educate people and to get people understanding what healthy food is. That's an example. So that's what has to happen. People have to understand the, 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 not only, not only the, the farmers, but the consumers have to understand the principles of holistic management, the, 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 the decision-making process that you have to protect your ecosystem and you have to build a healthy ecosystem. People have to be involved with it. Farmers have to be involved with it. So the consumers that live in the, in the, in the towns and cities and stuff, they have to understand what a healthy ecosystem is. They have to understand what it takes to make regenerative agriculture happen. They have to understand this so they're going to support the system. 
And of course, then that opens the door wide open to, and, and it's going to be, people are going to be scattering to, because they, they need the knowledge and they need, you know, um, they need the people. So that's my excitement about the future. But still it comes to education and it comes to the, so West Gnay Price, uh, uh, Alan Savory's holistic management, the, the work Vandana Shiva is doing is tremendous. Uh, she's involved with Slow Food International with uh, Carlos Carlos Petrini, and so they're teaching the world what uh, good food is and tradi the traditional foods and diets and why and how. So th this, like Mary said, this should be taught in in our universities and our colleges and our schools and our grade schools and our. This has to be taught, and and so um, and so I think that that is probably the most important thing I think is to move regenerative agriculture forward and of course regenerative agriculture really comes right down to the the soil and the earth and the, the what how we how we can uh, nurture it and recognize what grows these plants well and so and that's what's really led me down to understanding really mineral balancing soil microbiology in the soil and stuff because that's the basis of it but then all these other things have to come into play with the, the models in order to do these form, like the forms of production and to, to carry yourself forward. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, one of the most, I think the overview of, of our discussion is um, we have to teach. And like West Nate Price said, we have to teach. We have to teach and that's it. And uh, it'll all work out. <laughs> My conversation with the Lungards wrapped up just as Caro and Johannes, two farm interns from Germany, came into the farmhouse after finishing up their morning chores. Mary laid out a huge spread of food for everyone, soup, vegetables, and dessert pancakes topped with her rhubarb and raspberry preserves. Caro and Johannes have both worked on the farm over the last two to three years. They hadn't grown up on farms, but both expressed how they'd fallen in love with the farming lifestyle. At Nature's Way, they've had the opportunity to learn hands-on from Peter and Mary about sustainably raised cattle, perennial grasses, leafcutter bees and pollination. Carl milks the dairy cows every morning and is now experimenting with making cheese and yogurt. And they both love working with the animals. It inspires me to see the Lungards practicing what they preach at Nature's Way Farm. Not only are they feeding families in the peace country, but they're introducing the next generation of farmers to a sustainable, holistic approach to land management. They've opened up their farm as a place where young people can come to learn and experiment with growing food in a way that values water, soil, and animals, both beneath the soil and above it, both domestic and wild. This is Farming Nature's Way. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based project empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots is a project of the Stetler Learning Center in East Central Alberta, and we run workshops, farm field days, webinars, and we assist rural communities in developing their own renewable energy projects. And of course, we produce this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, so www.rr2cs.ca. The Rural Roots Climate Solutions team is Angie O'Connor, Marie Galanka, Evelyn Tanaka, and myself, Derek Leahy. The podcast is funded by the Government of Alberta and Energy Efficiency Alberta. This 
episode was created and recorded by Trina Moyles and was edited by Kieran Mountain of Mountain Media. Most of this episode was recorded at Nature's Way Farm in Grimshaw, which is on Treaty 8 land, and it's also in Métis Region 6. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm. Thank you.